How many of you in within the sound of my voice, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching through church online, how many of you have ever re-gifted a present? They say confession is good for the soul. <laughs> Normally, I mean, that's another church that's into that and not us, but, but <laughs> that was a little surprising there. Now, here's another question, if I may. Is that person that you regifted it to in this room? <laughs> Whoa, no. <laughs> Man, Mitch is the only one raising his hand back there, and none of you can see it. Oh, that is so great. Yeah, everybody's willing to admit that they, they have done that, but nobody wants to actually admit that the person may be in the room. We're, we're in a series of messages that we're calling missed. We've talked about King Herod allowing his insecurity to cause him to miss the Messiah. The priests were too busy and they missed it. It's easy for Christmas to become camouflaged. I want to start out this morning and as we get into this message, we're going to look at some people in this, the Christmas story and how the real meaning of Christmas may or may not have become camouflaged. First person I want to look at is obviously a very important part of it, and his name is Joseph, and Joseph feared for his reputation. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse number 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. I want, you to, I want you to listen to this closely, please. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and she gave him, or and he gave him the name Jesus. We hear this portion of scripture at this time of year and I think we sort of gloss over it a little bit, kind of like the, the nice light covering of snow that we have this morning. We just sort of, we just sort of skate by it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful time of the year and, and we read it, we hear it, and we don't really think about it, but I want you to stop and think about it for a moment, especially from Joseph's point of view he and Mary were engaged, but not married. Now, in our culture today, marriage is a contract, but engagement is not. In their culture, engagement was a contract. 
it, it could only be broken by a formal divorce. So they were contractually, they were married. But it was not the custom to consummate that marriage until the actual wedding had taken place. And in this situation between Mary and Joseph, they are contractually a couple, but they have not had the ceremony that finalizes everything in the eyes of men. And so they are still engaged. Joseph assumes because he finds that his bride-to-be is pregnant, he's forced to assume one thing. She's been messing around. Because Joseph would have, of course, known of himself, and it says that, that he is a man who is faithful in keeping the law. So we have to surmise from that statement that Joseph had not, they had not engaged in sexual relations together, and now he finds that she is pregnant. So he's been living according to the law to this point, and she is pregnant, so he assumes that she has had a relationship with another man. This would have brought incredible disgrace on Mary, on Joseph, on their families, and on the child that would be born. This is serious. In fact, in the Old Testament, we read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that the punishment for sex outside of marriage is death. And so Joseph was completely within his legal right in their society, in their culture, to point this out publicly and say, hey, that baby's not mine. I didn't do this. And then the court system, the religious court system would take control and it might even be a mob action, but the punishment could be death. Joseph is in a pickle. What should he do? Was righteous before the law and I believe probably wanted to appear righteous before the law. But now, if he moved forward in this relationship, in this marriage, he would not appear righteous because everyone would assume that the baby was Joseph's. They would assume. In fact, to marry her would be a confession of guilt. Oh, at least he's being a stand-up guy. Joseph is at least, he's, he's marrying her, he's, he's making an honest situation out of this. It was, a, it was literally a confession, like a public confession of guilt. But Joseph didn't want to expose her to the public shame of saying that it's not mine. He didn't want to expose her to the punishment that probably would happen, so he decides that he's going to, within his legal rights, he's going to divorce her quietly. He's not going to make a, a big deal of this. He does not want her to be shamed. He does not want her, obviously, to be executed. He's going to divorce her quietly. It still would have destroyed her life. And I want you to note that Mary's not guilty. 
Remember, this child, the Bible says, is of the Holy Spirit. It took an angelic visitation to convince Joseph. I wonder how many conversations this young couple had. Joseph, listen, I, I love you. I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. Imagine how frustrated and angry he would have been trying to wrap his mind around that. God had to send an angel to speak with him so that he would know that his bride-to-be had not stepped out on him and the child that she carried was literally the Son of God and that he would save his people from their sins. Let me ask you a question. What would it take for God to do to open your eyes to the real meaning of Christmas? What would it take Would he, would, he have to, would he have to show up on the scene to convince you to have some, would there, there need to be some, some spectacular spiritual uh, realm that, that comes and visits you? Because I believe that he wants to open our eyes. But we've got to be willing. Joseph almost missed the real meaning of Christmas. Thank you, Lord, that he sent that angel to speak to him. How about Bethlehem? Bethlehem, we've talked a lot about it. It was completely preoccupied. Look at Luke chapter 2. Let me read just the first three verses there. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, Bethlehem is an ancient city. It still exists today. Um, this year is the first year in many years where Bethlehem will not publicly be celebrating Christmas because of the war that is happening there um, between Gaza and Israel. And Bethlehem is just over the border into Israel. And so they're not celebrating. The place where Jesus was born is not celebrating. We know from history that Bethlehem predates 1350 B.C. Okay, that's how old that city is. It was first mentioned in Genesis chapter 35. We read that the prophet Samuel showed up in Bethlehem one day, and he showed up to go to the house of a man named Jesse. And he was asked, hey, are you here as a friend or are you here to, you know, like, like cast judgment on somebody because that's going to make a difference in how we receive you? He said, oh, I'm here for a celebration. I'm here for good. And he met with Jesse and he said, hey, show me your sons. And we find out that God, through the prophet, anointed a little boy named David to be the next king of Israel in the city of Bethlehem. That's why Bethlehem is called the city of David. What did David do for his father? 
He was a shepherd, right? They had to call him in from the field because he wasn't even at home when the prophet began to look at all of the sons of Jesse. And so they got to the end and, and, and the prophet said, is that all there is? Well, there's David. He's out in the pasture with the sheep, but he really doesn't matter. So David is a shepherd. He's He's in Bethlehem. He's in pastures around the city of Bethlehem. Those sheep that he was tending, do you know what they were used for? They were used for sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem located just five miles away. Think of of this, that, that David is raising sheep that will be sacrificed in the temple and one day... David will be the king and he will actually be the one that that helps to, to get ready for Solomon's temple to be built, a temple for his God. The population of the city of Jerusalem, just five miles out of Bethlehem, was about 55,000 at the time of Jesus. But when uh, there would be religious celebrations... Let's say during the Passover, the population of that city, the the number of people would raise to about 180,000 in that city. That's a lot of people. During this census, remember that that this city of Bethlehem, it's an old city. And so anybody whose, whose origins date back to Bethlehem, wherever they live, they had to go to that city to report. So this community was overflowing with people, as I'm sure Jerusalem was as well. And people were call, you know, calling, calling their relatives. They weren't writing letters either. <laughs> they were stopping in though. Hey, can we stay with you? You know, we're, we're cousins 17 times removed. Can we stay with you? There was, there was no Hampton Inn. There was no Fairfield. There, there was no Holiday Inn Express. There, was, there wasn't even some of the, the, the smaller places that are on the outskirts of our community. There was nothing like that, that. They didn't have things like that. The word in, when we read in, an innkeeper, that's what we think of. That is not the, the real use of that word. What I, I want you to imagine this, okay? There, there are no restaurants. They don't have, they don't, there is no Yoop Coop, okay? I love, I love Yoop Coop, man. I, it's chicken. There, there is no uh, Texas Roadhouse, okay? Oh, that's going to be fun. There, there, is, there is no border grill, that, that dependable thing that you just love and that you, or, or Togo's, you know, when I moved here 20 years ago, I heard people talk about Togo's and they would practically salivate when they talked about it. And I didn't understand it and now it's, it just gets in you and you can't get rid of it. None of that existed. But I'll tell you what did exist. As a husband saying to his wife, honey, listen, um, let's, uh, let's rent our place out this weekend as an Airbnb. 
okay? In fact, in fact, what we'll do is we'll ship all our kids off to, you know, their friend's house or a relative's house. We'll rent out all the bedrooms that we possibly can. And then, honey, you can cook for everybody. And, and we're going we're gonna to make some extra money, okay? You say, oh, that's crazy. No, they do it all over wherever there are huge sporting events, Okay, go to the coast where there's big golf tournaments and that's exactly what people are doing. During those events, they leave and they go visit somebody else or go on vacation, rent their place out for huge dollars. That's exactly what the people in Bethlehem would have been doing. They're looking for it as a way to make bank. We sort of do the same thing at this time of the year. We pull some extra double shifts, don't we? We get a seasonal job at Kohl's and we spend as much extra time as we can working so that we can pay for the holidays, pay for the Christmas presents that we're going to be buying. And as we do that, we begin to stress our, our energy, we begin to stress our time, and then we get grumpy, and then we get tired. It's okay at first, but then by the time the week before Christmas gets here, it is ugly. It's easy to get preoccupied. Bethlehem was preoccupied. Preoccupied with the census, preoccupied with the opportunity to make money. And they missed the birth of the Messiah. Mary and Joseph, even as a couple, totally overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 4, it says So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea. Nazareth was his hometown. He went to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, Mary and Joseph lived in a community called Nazareth, which at this time would have been about 400 people. Historians, scholars tell us that. So they had to travel 80 miles to Bethlehem. Now, some of you are already, you, you're like, man, I get it. You, man, when you got to go see family at Christmas, it is hard. Okay. All right. 80 miles. They, they either walked or she could have ridden something, probably a, a small donkey maybe one of uh, Mr. Bill's uh, mini donkeys. And she was extremely pregnant. Ladies, tell me what would excite you more than traveling 80 miles on donkey back. 
okay. I mean, you'd, be, you'd be like, I need a break. <laughs> 20 miles, an average travel distance, 20 miles a day. Four days, okay? Once in a while, I get the opportunity to go horseback riding. And we, we ride the trails. And, and, and it's not running. It's just you're riding trails, right? I get to ride trails that my grandfather rode when he was a kid. And it's, it's really fun. Four or five hours into it, I'm dying. I am dying. I am, I am on fire, okay? I am I'm dying. But see, I can't complain because then... My host may, may think, I, I don't have what it takes to ride, okay? He may say, well, next time we're not going to go as far, and that's not what I want, okay? I don't want to go back early either, but I, I mean, and on the way back, we're going downhill because we've been up on the ridges, right? Riding up on the ridges, and every step that that horse takes like this, like, ho, 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 you know, and you're just, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know, you're doing everything you can. 80 miles. Pregnant. Boy, I'll bet you she was in a good mood. Now, the one, the, the one thing, okay, they're going to report for the census. Maybe there was a, a silver lining in that, Mary, we get to go to the big city. Okay, we get to go to the big city. Bethlehem was probably somewhere between one a thousand and three thousand scholars tell us, but but man, Jerusalem's right. Oh, it's just five miles away. It's huge. You know, this is exciting. They're gonna have a Chipotle. Okay, <laughs> they're gonna have Chick Fil A. Every time I go to Green Bass, all I gotta do. They're going to have, this, is, this could be awesome. They get to the relatives hoping that they're going to find that somebody, nope, all the relatives' bedrooms are free. And in those communities, they, they had, they had this, this, this area that was a public area where a traveler could sleep. There were no walls. There were no doors. There, it was, there was no privacy whatsoever, and Mary's ready to have a baby. And so they knew they couldn't stay there. So what's left? The people in Bethlehem are a lot like us. How many of you here love paying real estate taxes? Do you love that? No, no, we don't. We don't, we don't like that. So, you know, we, we, we hope they don't know exactly what we've done in our house, <laughs> you know? And in Bethlehem, what they did, they, they couldn't build out because they'd have more taxes. But the ground that their home sat on was kind of a, 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 a stone that wasn't a real hard, brittle stone. It was a stone that you could dig out. And so they would dig a basement underneath it. And they would, that's, that's the place, would, there would be an entrance to it, and that's where they would store at night any livestock that they had. And so one of these family members, not a business person, but one of these family members said, hey, listen, 
you can't, you, you can't keep her out there in the public square and sleep out in, the, in, in, in public. So bring her, at least she'll have privacy here. The Bible talks about a manger, and we all think of that little, Matt, you probably, how many have you built for us over the years? You know, that little manger, you know? It's a total European concept. That manger would have been carved out of the stone that the basement was carved out of, okay? They just would have carved a spot for, for the feed to go. And we think, you know, I, just, I, don't, I don't understand this. In, in the Old Testament law, stone, stone um, doesn't have to be purified. It's already considered clean. The Son of God was born and laid in a clean space, ceremonially speaking, according to the Jewish law. This life, life is hard enough as it is. And then this couple has to go 80 miles and they have to be in a basement that doubles as a barn, okay? And at night, the, the animals were still brought back in because they had to keep them inside. And they're, you're using a feed trough as a cradle, Life is so hard, but then, man, there's this. This last, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And how many of us feel exactly like that? Life's hard enough, and then this thing hits. And some of you right now are going through one of those things. And it's so easy to feel disconnected from what we're really celebrating right now as we approach Christmas. It's easy to become overwhelmed. You say, what, what do I do? What do I do? How can, how can I have my perspective changed? How can I see what I need to see? How can I keep from Christmas being camouflaged? I'm gonna give you two quick things. Number one, you've gotta remember God is always at work. So worship him. Circumstances, grief, distractions, they all blind us to what we're celebrating at this time of year. They keep us from seeing that God is moving. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the apostle Paul writes this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So even when we don't see it, God is moving. So worship him. Whatever that circumstance is, whatever that distraction is, whatever that grief is, understand that behind it, God is still working. He's still moving. So worship him. You see, when we have a sense of confidence that God is moving, it frees us to worship him rather than to worry in Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, the psalmist says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the, the flock under His care. I may not know how God is moving, but I'm sure that He is. That needs to be our prayer, our statement. And that frees us to worship Him. And finally... God is always in control, so trust him. You ever notice that we tend to overestimate our control? 
Think about that for a moment. We think we're in control. We think, oh man, I've got this situation under control. We are so mistaken, aren't we? Isaiah says this in Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Acknowledge the fact that you're not in control. You're not in control of your circumstances. And then put your trust in God. Psalm 42, 11, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. We need to do sometimes what that, that old saying is, we need to let go and let God. Let go of the circumstance and then let God move. Proverbs 16, 9, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. You are not in control. I'm not in control, but God is in control. We're going to close this service with a song that we sang earlier, but as we do, I just want you to stand with me. Would you do that? I'm going to close with a story about a missionary, you may have heard his name before. He was a missionary to Africa. His name was David Livingston. And before Livingston could get access into Africa, he had to get permission from a tribal chief to enter into that area. And the tradition was this. When you came to the chief to ask for, uh, for entrance into that place, you had, to get, he, you had to give him whatever he wanted that was yours. And then he would give you something that he decided to give you back. So Livingston had all of his books, his clothes, very few possessions. He had them laid out so that the chief could pick. And one strange thing that he had was a goat because the water in Africa didn't sit well with his stomach. And so he had a goat so he could have milk. The chief came and looked over all of Livingston's possessions. And what do you think the chief took? <laughs> he took the goat. And Livingston was ticked off. Can you imagine how he's complaining to God? God, I come all the way to Africa for you. To win these people. To win the lost for you. And my stomach can't handle the water, so I bring a goat for milk. And what does this chief, the guy that can have anything that he wants in this nation, what does he, what does he pick? He picks my goat. The chief offers in return a carved stick. Yay, a walking stick. chief walked away and a villager came up to Livingston and he said, you don't understand. He said, that's not a walking stick. It's his scepter. You can go anywhere you want and have anything you want in all of this land. It's yours. He had full access. He had all the milk he needed in a scepter. Sometimes we think things are absolutely lost and we don't understand that God has a plan 
and his plan is not the stinky goat that we think that we need. So this morning, I don't know what circumstance you're facing. I don't know what things look like, but I know this, that God has a plan. God has a plan. Don't allow the circumstances that you face to camouflage what God did, what we celebrate, the coming of Jesus to earth, the birth of the Messiah. We're going to sing, but close your eyes for just a second. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, The circumstances that I'm going through have been so challenging, so difficult, and I want to know that God is in control. I want to know that God is is with me. I want to be able to trust Him. I want to be able to worship Him. If that's you this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus before, and you want to do that today, if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just slip your hand up and just let me know, man, that's, that's me today. Yes, yes. Yes, there's hands all over. Father, I thank you that today we can put our trust in you. God, we worship you today. We thank you, Lord. We love you, oh God. We praise you today. Come on, let's worship together. We won't have any formal dismissal, but I hope that you'll hang around afterwards and fellowship together and enjoy the presence of God. Let's worship.